Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 6th of October 2019. I was just thinking about five minutes ago about the system and how unfortunately it's gone full circle again because back in the, the 80s and 90s and even before that too there were lots and lots of radio stations across America especially. The world could tune into them because many of them were shortwave and you could pick them up across the whole planet. And because there was so much competition, uh, then they, they had so many different types of shows on. But lots of them would go into the system. And it got really good uh, in its output, basically, of clarity as it focused in on the organizations that were all connected organizations that run us all, organizations that people have pretty well forgotten about, even though they're still running us. And I did a lot of shows too in the 90s about what's happening and how we're controlled and how we're programmed and how we're given topics to think about because your masters want you to think about them because they're getting you ready for something that's coming down the pike and they want to make sure that you'll vote or at least go along with what they want you to do. We're constantly managed this way, and it's done in a way that has to be not so avert, generally, except through taxes, add extra taxes. Now we have carbon taxes in Canada, things like that. But the world would tune in to these shows from America because they didn't get that in their own countries, and it was a breath of fresh air. And you did have wonderful, eccentric people who, who had their own special area of investigation, and and they, they were almost like, well, they, they were fanatical about their particular area of investigation and they delved into it meticulously. It obsessed their lives, basically. And because of that, they had tremendous uh, information to, to, to give you and share it with the people because we're living, as I say, in such a, a system that doesn't make any sense at all. Even though you can come out in a, in a system like today, with the same system running us more overtly than ever before, folk are right back to square one. They still think it's all real. They do. Back in the 90s, I came out with a lot of the stuff that had been put out by people long before me and who were dead, a lot of them, and a lot of my own observations as well about this, this system. And I thought about it, as I say, a few minutes ago. I was thinking about it, and I thought, well, how would you put it across? Well, Years ago, they had awfully good movies for children, a long time ago. And a lot of them had come out initially in novels and so on, and put into movies. And The Adventures of Sinbad was a, an awfully good collection, and they turned into movies of Sinbad. And everybody identified with, with this character. All the children did, because it was real imagination with flying carpets and genies and bottles and things like that. Uh, things that children would love to have, that ability that for power. Wow, I could fly in on a carpet and it wouldn't cost me anything. And uh, if you got dirty, it wouldn't take you to the cleaners. But, but we, we thought of all these things and Sinbad. Again, we'd occasionally meet these genies that came out of bottles or lamps and you just had to rub the lamp. And every child knows how many times you had to rub it. I mean, it was vital, or else it, terrible things could happen. 
But the genies were huge, huge creatures that came out of these things. And they were louds and they, they had very cunning faces. And, and you just didn't trust them. And the whole idea of the genie was to have to go through a formula of giving you three wishes. And the genie would try and trick you with the type of wish that you wish for. So you'd end up with a kind of dud wish, in a sense, because you didn't word it properly. Words were awfully, awfully important. So if you'd seen these things a few times, every child knew, hey, when he says, I'll, I'll give you three wishes, he didn't put a time limit on thinking about it. So you, 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 you go and buy a, an ice cream or something, come back and think about what you want to ask that thing on the screen, and you worded it awfully carefully with, with all kinds of guarantees and things. You'd get exactly what you wanted. But children could immediately see this genie. What was You couldn't trust him at all. He wasn't somebody who would be your pal. Do you realize how we lose this ability to discern things so quickly? It's drummed out of you at school. And then we're given a lot of nonsense for history. We're given a lot of nonsense, too, about the systems in which we live, the countries as well, the histories of the countries. And every country has citizens that will be patriotic to it. It doesn't matter what it, where it is or, or what kind of system it is. Because it's, it's a primal thing. You belong to this area. It's your area. Your ancestors lived there. And you have a tie to it in your natural culture and the natural language all shared and things like that. All with the, with the call a nation. And how it's been used and abused down through centuries and centuries. And the ordinary folk, really, they, they do all their fighting for it, for their set off to wars. And they suffer, try to keep it together when they're highly taxed to pay for all the wars, even afterwards for the rest of their lives. And yet in the countries in which they live, there's always this, this minority class. And, of course, the communists and, and Marxists call them the capitalist class. But they don't like to point out who exactly they are, this capitalist class, because they don't. it's, it's strange that in, in Britain, for instance, you had a middle class, but it wasn't a huge middle class either. And after Britain gave up its, its so-called empire, the managerial class, a middle class type, diminished very quickly back down to almost a working class state, because uh, even the ones who'd been abroad and came back to Britain. They were working uh, as a middle class, governing other countries, you know, or the lesser governors, as you can call them. But there, there were ones, too, who really ended up being just low middle class in Britain. In Britain, it was easier to tell who was middle class, as opposed to the U.S., where a lot of even blue-collar workers, actual workmen, uh, would classify themselves as middle class because they had good incomes. In Britain, if you're working class, you generally just were at the very bottom. And that, w- that, that was a system before World War II and after World War II for, for a long time. And so there's much, much more to a class system than folk think. But the ones at the very, very, very top, uh, generally who are intermarried, all inter- if you go down their, their heritage, so you, you, you'll find they're all intermarried, the, the top cup, 2,000 families, so in the state of Britain or London. And sometime or another in the last two or 200 years, somebody's been married to, to all the rest of them, and that's the way it works. 
you forget you, through the through the magic of uh, neuroscience, psychology, and uh, behaviorism, and the marketing companies that study you intensely with all the different surveys that's done constantly for psychology and and so on. Uh, we're right back to square one again where we can't tell what's what. We have more stuff about royalty and, and made-up dramas, literally made by soap opera writers to try and humanize people that you'll never meet, never have met. And to make an and idea being, or oh, if Megan has a tiff with so and so, they want it's all to make it's to make you think they're just like you. They're all human, living in a little incarnation street, you know, next door to each other, long streets and stuff. It's to humanize them. It's all fiction. It's all fiction for all of them, actually. And unfortunately, that that same system that now is attached to to royal stories every day in different papers, handouts is used across the world to, for all of us. We're right back to square one again, where all the things that were taught in the 90s, and I came out and said, I said, for goodness sake, you've got to get beyond politics here. Politics is a Punch and Judy show. It's a show for the public to make you believe that it's all real. It's a puppet show. And whoever gets elected uh, is allowed to, to, to get all the applause, etc. for the term they're in. They'll be awfully rich by the time they come out. You all know that. And you were given even better jobs, you might say. Like Tony Blair was given when he left. Uh, so he can afford all these multi-million dollar homes and so on. By J.P. Morgan, etc. Yeah, so you're, if you do what you're put in to do by the folk who own everything... Yeah, you're you're well rewarded, and all the parties are the same. All the parties are the same. It's a show for the public because the public are always. It isn't just an economic thing. I've mentioned this before. There's a stagnancy in society. The younger folk were the first to notice it in, in the UK. The, the, the UK was devastated after World War Two. Remember, it really was devastated after World War One. And they managed to get through a Great Depression right into World War Two, and so it was pretty. It was pretty well misery, misery for most folk from World War One right through until about the nineteen fifties, sixties. It really was, and that's why they came out with the new swinging sixties and the British invasion. And all. It was a massive onslaught worked out by huge think tanks to try and stir some, some sort, something for the positive change, which would be directed by those who already owned everything and owned the world. <laughs> and uh, that's what came out. That's why the big groups were, they do realize how much money it takes to, to blast a group like the Beatles from, from nowhere into across the world, world fame. That's, that's millions of pounds at that time. That's what it costs, millions. Publicity, massive publicity. Like the creation of a product, you see, and getting other newspapers across the world on board with it. That costs money. They don't do it for nothing. They're paid huge bucks to do it because show business is a business. But again, it was to strike at the youth and use the youth to bring in or, or think they were bringing in something better than they already had. And what it was, as we all know, I hope, if folk remember, it was a system was a blend of Marxism and socialism, communism, 
and and capitalism. That was the whole blend. The elite, as I said, always wanted, always wanted a dictatorial form of government. If they could manage it and keep it and hold it, you see. It was the fastest way to get things done. And all through the time up uh, till Margaret Thatcher, they, they had used ex-prime premiers and ex-top bureaucrats from departments of government to mix with their cohorts across the world, their counterparts across the world, and work in societies and groups together to bring on, to get things done and not be responsible to the public. They do it quietly. That's really how things were always run beforehand. And Maggie Thatcher admitted that she'd now joined a group. And it was the Royal Institute for International Affairs. She met all the other ex-prime ministers and presidents going back for years. And they could get things done quietly. And the UN would often take credit for things. But the UN is also a front for this kind of Marxist system. It's a Marxist system that, that doesn't, does not rule out that there should be uh, multi-billionaire leaders, remember. There's such things as a quality of wages and so on. Marxism is, is centralized government. That means world government too. That was always a goal. But it also means that science, they're replaced the, replaced the old priesthoods. The scientists replaced them. So they're white-coated priesthoods. Some don't wear the white coats, as you know, but the fact is that's what you're trained to believe and listen to and follow. They would, would uh, with the using, often, not always, but often the verbiage of, of the claimer, the latest scientific results on things, they would guide the world into a uniform direction. And that's what you're seeing today. It's so sad is to get you used to the fact that politics is a comedy. That's no accident what's happening with Trump. And I don't care who you you vote for, who you believe in. It's no accident that now you're seeing this incredible charade of of another soap opera with Trump and the other side doing the standard underground, you know, weather underground techniques of, of just, just accusing him of all kinds of things. It's like saying, you've, oh, you've got four legs, and if you fall into the trap of saying, well, no, I don't, it's only when I stand in a certain direction, it looks that way. If you fall into that trap, you see you're beaten. And, and even if when you try to answer it, you're wasting energy, and your mind is off, off, off kilter, basically, of where it should be, and then they hit you another one, another one. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, it's aiming, really, at keeping someone to fend off the bricks that are getting thrown at them. You know, that's, that's what it really is. And if you, if, they, if you keep them deluged with that, the idea is you hope to break them down or even give them a, a nervous breakdown. Uh, but you'll get nothing else done, you see. But it's the, the main purpose of this at the moment is to, to acclimatize the people to a new system of government being necessary. That's what it is. That's really what it is. And it, it's, it's giving the impression that the government is basically powerless. And that's a joke, isn't it? I mean, if government has, sets its sights on little old you, you'll be picked up tomorrow if, if, they, if they want it. One of their agencies will do it. But when you're watching a system where, where it would appear to be, for most folk, appear to be in appearances, that outright uh, radical communism is trying to overthrow the government, the government would have uh, the, the duty to arrest them for treason, wouldn't it?
that there is a law. And it's not happening either. So obviously you're watching some kind of charade on the go. Now, there will be uh, definitely, by whatever reason, uh, there'll, there'll be used for a real show of force in the countries. We'll be waiting for this for years in all the countries uh, as, they, as they crash the economy the next time and bring you into the next system of rationing. That's what, that's what the whole green movement's about. It's nothing to do with what they tell you or, or climate change. It's to bring you into this new socialistic, apparent socialistically run system where you'll have experts and commissars in your know, communities right up to the top running your lives from birth to death. That's always been the goal here. And at the moment, it's the climate that they're using as a big driving force uh, to, to make it happen, Agenda 21 and all the rest of it, and 2030, etc. So, and it was, at that time, it was called the Millennium Project for Maurice Strong and the rest of them. But now it's just 20, Agenda 21 for 21st century with sections of 2015, 2030, and so on. And, that's our, and how you must be trained to live. Well, how do you get them from where you are now, which is almost destitute for some of us, <laughs> uh, to where it's to be completely destitute down the road? But you'll all be equal. So that's it. That's beautiful communism. And that's what the, those who rule the world want because it won't affect them. They want a manageable world, a depopulation agenda with no breeding for all the unworthy types. And it's coming down the pike so fast. It's, it's, to me, it's a comedy to watch it. And it's almost like the, how they try to present things in a slick way. But it's, it's, so, it's, it's so grossly incompetent in how they do it. And I wonder how many folk uh, are, are swallowing it. I know I'm, I don't watch TV, so I'm not given the, 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 the brainwashing daily on any topic that they want through you, to your brain. But I do wonder how many folk are swallowing all this stuff by watching scary pictures from goodness knows when and what part of the world on, on a whirlwind or wherever it happens to be. It's easy to get things across through scary scenarios, you know, and, and repetition. But the whole idea with socialism was to run the world in an organized scientific fashion by experts. And which means you can't live like you, you've been living, the way you have been, and you can't be allowed to make your own decisions because it'll harm the environment, it'll harm everything, harm, harm, harm. You say, you're bad, you're bad, it's your fault. So pay for it. I've been saying this for years and years and years, and it's comical to see some people, in this, in, even in Canada, come out and say the same thing, who worked on these projects and have come out and admitted it now. It doesn't change it, of course because it's written in stone, and this is a big agenda. I've given so many talks from, from the talks, in fact, from Prince Philip, for instance, who was the head of all these different wildlife organizations for years. But when you get into the integrity of it, it was setting up reserves across the planet on the best agricultural land, even across Africa, national parks. He was the head. They don't want people farming there. They don't want them being prosperous or, or healthy for that matter. We really go into There's always another reason behind the, the genie with the smile that came out of the lamp. It's like the tactics that communists used across the world during and before and after the Bolshevik Revolution, which was to demand in the West that, that they would attack 
people giving out food or clothing to the poor and the countries of Europe. The idea being that you couldn't get the the critical mass, critical number of people necessary to get revolutions started if you were feeding them and clothing them. And you see, uh, that's where they attacked as well, the churches, and the Catholic Church especially at that time. They looked at physical raids on the churches to try to stop them helping the poor. Because helping the poor detracted uh, the, the, the power, uh, the numbers power, for their great revolution that was to come. You always remember, and with this tactic, and it doesn't matter what system you want to call it, fascist, communist, they're all the same, you know. And anything that works, especially in a totalitarian system, is always the same anyway. Socialist, fascist, whatever you want to call it. Because it has to be. It's a system to get things done according to a group, generally a group at the top, who've got an idea there, that they, and they've got, they don't really know what the system should be and how things should be. They're control freaks, you see. So we watch the communist techniques of the past, and then you're watching it happening across the West today, because the idea is you must make things so bad that the folk will demand the very thing that you want to give them. That's how it all works. You'll demand it. And they'll say, oh, okay then, and here's a new, a, new, a new type of system for you. See what you think of this. And, and that's how it always is. It really is. That's how it always is. And you can get disparaging thoughts eventually about society as a whole or humanity as a whole. Because honestly, the, the history is all about the Machiavellian types that advise kings and queens and governments. And now they've got whole boards and panels and think tanks to do it with fancy names, it sounds very legitimate, of course, but it's the same thing. How we deceive the public to do something to the public or to get them to go along with something. That's how things really are done. Sad, isn't it? It's sad. But the power it coalesces into, into groupthink from one person to groupthink. They get more done. And then, then they have organized power. And the whole, the whole future, what they, what they saw long ago was, yeah, Totalitarian regimes get things done much quicker and faster. But of course, the people are generally are pretty miserable because they're getting taxed in the ground. They're told what to do, can't do. They're licensed for everything that they do, even opening their mouths. What you can, can't say, and all the rest of it. Much like today, it's rather miserable. Unless you want to end up in a system like East Germany at one time. Under the Stasi, the communist Stasi. I've mentioned before so many times the lives of others, it's really worth watching because it shows you how bad it was then without the computer studying all of you from your home every day and your cell phones. They had so many spies from the public, blackmailed any spy and everybody else through threats and so on, uh, that almost half the public were, were Stasi spies at one time or another on other people, threatened by use of force or whatever. But you see how it worked. That's your totalitarian regime. And many people in the West admired that. that my, boy, the things we could get done if, if we just told the public what to do and they'd have to obey. It's his freedom ideas is an awful nuisance to people. It really is, isn't it? You can't do that, you say. And they'll say, oh no. I can remember uh, Pierre Trudeau. That's Justin's daddy. Pierre Trudeau himself was a member of, he was a, he was a leader for commentary in the Young Communist League for Canada before World War II. 
And he led delegation uh, eventually to, to Moscow. It was well understood at the time. It was in the newspapers of that period that he was that, a member of this, and he led the delegation. It was 1952 after World War II, he led it to Moscow. And then eventually they made him prime minister under, under the term liberal. And it always stuck in my mind that, that of, of Khrushchev, of the Soviet system, and Khrushchev, he was a president or prime minister. They got two They got a president and a prime minister, as you know, in the Soviet system. But he was sent over to to the U.S. and uh, to meet the delegations there and counterparts, a PR exercise. But he uh, he was in agreement, remember, with the United Nations and the pacts. And see, through the United Nations, you make these pacts and these deals. Even with the IPCC. Uh, the idea for climate, which is the big driving force to bring in the communist system under a different guise. <laughs> a crisis guy. You have a crisis, you see. If it's not there, you create it. I mean, that's the same thing that the Hearst, you know, the Hearst said to, to his reporters at one time, um, get a war started, you know, print about the war in, in Spain or somewhere it was, or Cuba or... And but there is no war going on here. He said, "Well, well, write about it." So it was. So it, it was in the paper. It must be true. Same kind of thing. But they sent Khrushchev over, and he met. I think it was with Nixon at the time. And they're quipping back and forth. And I think Nixon says something about communists. He says, "Oh, he says communists, meaning Canada and atomic Canada and the U.S." He says. Oh, he says, over here, he says, we don't call them communists, we call them liberals, he said. And uh, that stuck to the day, because Pierre Trudeau ran under the, the liberal ticket. And eventually he and René Lévesque, who, one of his, his uh, stalwart supporters, really, had a little interview off the cuff back in the, uh, I think it was the 80s, late 80s. And you'd see... Pierre Trudeau's shock in his face as René Lévesque was talking rather candidly and he says, yeah, well, back in those days we were, we were communists and Marxists, he says, and, and you can see Trudeau immediately <laughs> freezing almost <laughs> in, in anxiety because Trudeau had gone through a great show in Canada of stopping what was supposedly a communist takeover, a coup, an attempted coup and kidnappings as well in Montreal around that same period, or just uh, just before that happened, that inter- interview. So he became, he became the strong man for Canada to, to allay the, fear, the fears of everybody thinking, remembering he was a communist in reality, you see. And here's Renaud Lévesque, kind of going, reminding him again that he was a communist, so <laughs> it was quite good. But anyway, we're, we're run by, by people who, who know how it should be. But I remember, I mean, from their point of view, in, in total control. You, you, we tell you, and you do, and you obey. And science is a new god. Religion and superstition is out the window. So you'll, you'll obey our findings in science, like this phony climate change deal, too. I mean, that can get you done today, the attacks on people who, who come out and see it, because they've radicalized the youth, you see, intentionally, just like the Young Communist League. They've radicalized them. They used them for the, for the Cultural Revolution in China. And they just sit on loose on their parents and their teachers, and they were killing them. Easy to radicalize children. Easy in youngsters. Very easy. Hitler Youth knew how to do it. They got it from the Young Communist League because they, they, they studied them too. 
existed before the, the Nazi party came along. So it's always the same techniques that are used, of course, in radicalization. And they will turn their parents in, and, uh, and they will uh, actually destroy them physically. You'll see the, the hatred and anger that's building up, and they're being trained uh, to hate through their schooling and all this stuff that's been indoctrinated into them. Uh, and they, they will go nuts when the time is right. It's an army, naturally. And uh, to me, watching all this happening, it's like repetition from previous eras and different excuses using the same techniques, you see. And it's been allowed to happen. That, that should, that's a key there, it's been allowed to happen. I've mentioned before about Lenny Riefenstahl, how she talked about, she was asked in an interview, one of the few interviews she ever gave, but she was asked, how did it happen with the middle classes in Germany when Adolf Hitler came in? In other words, they heard, they heard what, 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 or got at least ideas or whiffs of what he, he was planning and so on. But they also knew, obviously, their system was in chaos since World War I with massive reparations to every other country because they were given the blame for the war. Even though it wasn't just their fault, all the top nations, I mean, even France, remember, had an empire by then. Britain had an empire and really didn't want Germany getting a foot in the door either. Because the elite of, of every country own the countries, they own what is the nation, and the public are just there to as the as the, as the tools and to, to produce and to create the art and to staff the army for them. But even still said it was, I, and I know what she means. It, it's you, you float through something like a kind of dream, especially when you feel detached from politics. And she was pretty well apolitical. They tried to get her in a hole, but she was apolitical. She, it wasn't in, she wasn't interested in politics. And people who are not interested in politics can certainly be used by politicians and leaders. They'll always grab any celebrities or anybody who's got any name for anything in, in showbiz or whatever, or movies, or, and use them or try and use them. Look at, look at the photographs, the PR shots you see every day with politicians, with celeb- so-called celebrities, people who are, in, who are just actors and so on. But she said that the middle classes didn't stop it because they, they floated into it. We, we get so used to being managed, you see, by this group at the top, and we don't have much trust in them or faith in them, and we let them play their little games. But eventually, they play the game where you will keep ignoring them, as you always do. And it's not your fault either, because they're, 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 they're psychopathic, basically, politicians. And anyway. I don't care what party it is, or even if it's local up to the top. They have that the psychopathic trait, for sure. And uh, and so we don't take much note. But you can, you can sleepwalk and, and float right into it until, until you're in a totalitarian regime. You see, that was always the idea of the Fabian Society. There was a left, they, won, they ran the left-wing group on behalf of their own Institute for International Affairs which ran the right-wing groups and everything else, you see. That's how it's run. And it's quite amazing to me to, to see it all happening over and over and again, the same techniques being used over, and people just drift into it. As they're given, basically, soap operas, and I mean manufactured soap operas, with, with accusations against, and it doesn't matter if you like the guy or not, or Trump. They're, to me, they're front people. If you didn't vote, you'd have revolutions every so often. And voting is, was, was created to stall revolutions from happening. True revolutions, you see. 
And so, yeah, we say, oh, well, you know, can I always get, vote them out and get somebody in the next thing? That's your idea. So it, it, it puts you off every five years or so, four or five years, till the next vote. And so you stall and stall and stall, and things don't get any better at all. That's how it works. And the real governing of the country is not done by the politicians. It's done by way behind the scenes by the specialised branches. And now they've, they've outsourced so many things, all governments, that's exactly what the elite wanted a long time ago. It's right back to where the private groups and think tanks running, running all the major things, including policies on everything, including warfare, including sustainability practices, including hygiene for children, and, and including mental hygiene. For, we've heard all this stuff before, a long time ago. Do you remember where that was? And as I mentioned on these things, on hygiene things, what are they doing to your children now? So you're floating right through it, just like people did in Germany, just like the middle classes uh, allowed, basically, that happened in, in Russia too, where millions and millions were slaughtered. There's always a massive slaughter when, the, when the, the, the push goes on, you know? And you can smell it coming with what, what you're witnessing, with the boasting, the boasting from the United Nations about uh, the support now it's got for, for the climate change policy, which is total, uh, total management. And I mean, what you can eat and what you can eat, and gonna, the meat is going to be pretty well a scarcity for you lot, not for the ones at the top. And you put on a diet that's not going to be healthy at all. Then as they cut back all your energy, especially in the colder climates, you're going to die a lot, a lot sooner, folks. Because they plan to keep increasing the cost of whatever fuels you in the winter time and for the rest of the year. Absolutely. This is depopulation time, and they've made it rather rampantly clear. The sustainability is really a, a, a method or an excuse in order to tackle what Prince Philip talked about overpopulation. It always has been. And he was rather blatant about it in many of his speeches. And many others have been as well. But that's the whole point. That's the purpose of this thing of sustainability. And the hit on climate change would be the excuse. They'd all they make a pact. They could never go back on it once they started rolling. That's how they do things. You'd never go back on it. And no matter how absurd it will seem, they'll stick to it. E even if you're up to your eyeballs in ice, they'll still say it's global warming. Or, or then they'll go back to, oh, it's climate change. That vague, undefined thing, climate change, you see. But you can't go on living like that. And I've got articles out now saying, you can't go on living like this. And, uh, and I've taught you, the governments are pretty well used. Look, you're looking at it. What's happened in the Western world in the last few years? Massive migration from the wars has been caused. They shouldn't have been there in the first place, those wars. And that was using the excuse to flood in, to, to break the, the populations up of Europe. It's been publicly admitted by a lot of the yeah, conspirators, you might say, who, who have been active in helping it all happen. But apart from that, there's the stagnation in a service economy of jobs, because we don't manufacture. And we go through a pretense, a farce, of accusing China of having uh, all the things their way. Well, that was all said by a few of us at the time when they were signing the darn agreements with China and giving them all the manufacturing. And we paid to have it shipped over to them. The, fa the factories and the companies that put their names up in China 
We paid for them to go over and we kept paying for any losses they claimed to incur setting up over there until they were back on their feet again. This was all part of this deal. And we sat, again, we floated through that silently. Can't believe it's happening, eh? <laughs> Most of them didn't even notice, you know. Except the ones who were laid off from, as if factories went under one by one by one. In Ontario, I saw them. It's happening all the time. And there was folk I knew who were desperate, as they were losing their jobs, desperate to try and get a pension or early pension before they lost it all. And they jumped from one factory to the next as they went under. It's like jumping on top of dominoes before each one falls. Boom, 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 boom. Literally, I saw that happening. And it was all done by politicians who claim now, oh, we didn't realize. We didn't realize that all you could do after that was sell stuff from China. You wouldn't make it from raw materials up to finished products on any on anything. You'll just import them. Well, I wouldn't even go into that argument because that's, that's such a mute point at all. There is no point. The fact is, uh, service economies were dispelled back in nineteen. 1970s in Britain when you talked about what, what they would have as a service economy with the EU and the, the top economists back then at least could mention that you would you, you would be like a dog jumping in a, a swimming pool and paddling and paddling until it drowned because it couldn't get out and it couldn't stay afloat any longer that's exactly what a service and now we're at the end of it, we're drowning you see and it's at the same time they show you that politics is a joke. They, they go overboard in showing you that politics is just a comedy so that you'll demand the system once they give you hints of what they want to bring in. That's how it's done, folks. That's how it's done. Anyway, a few articles here just to back up what I'm talking about, perhaps. I don't even like talking about politics. It's always been a joke to me, anyway. Another thing, too, is the, the massive, the massive... Uh, drug industry we have illegal, legal, and uh, all the other in betweens, the different, the dark areas of it all. Because we're in an age where they're taking us all down, obviously, because we are dispirited. We, th- there's nothing coming next that we look forward to anymore. We don't even have a fake British invasion thing of music. It was, and that was truly fake with the masses, millions. It was like half the economy went to pay for all. To make make a, a, a form of optimism out of nothing, really, you know, and to change the youth culture into promiscuity, unfortunately, and that's what happened in the marriage part of the, the planks of the Communist Manifesto eh? and socialism, very successful. So that again, sustainability is winning, and people don't have children, and then they, then they just slap the people in the face. They say, "There's not enough of you They're breeding, so we'll bring in migrants from outside." See, you can't win. And as they go under too, because they will go under eventually as they get steeped in a very toxic culture industry and it'll affect them too. The same it already is with the children turning to drugs as well and things like that. And uh, that's what happens. Anyway, here they're blaming America huh? at the moment. It's, it's astonishing too, and this one here is about poor Guatemalan farmers. They turn to heroin poppies and when the military destroyed their crops, many had only one choice, flee to the U.S. It's meant to make you feel sorry for all. Do you realize you can't feel sorry enough for your own countries? But this 
it's astonishing <laughs> that mainstream newspapers will you still use the same tactics to make you feel that you're, you feel guilty that that you when you're broke as it is and you're personally broke and everybody's got problems and all the areas that go along with it as I say in a destroyed culture and and, and destroyed industries and all the rest of it you're supposed to feel bad about other countries because the military is destroying their poppy crops so they and they can't sell you all the heroin and the, you understand how how bizarre and ridiculous this is anyway they're blaming the U.S. For, for, for cutting back on their funding as well to Latin American countries. And the, amount, the breakdowns and amounts uh, per year, for instance, to each country, to, 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 to try to give them some kind of economy. That's how we're, we're fed the information, to give some kind of economy. But they're so corrupt, it ends up, <laughs> ends up basically in the drug industry because that's where the money is, the big money is. But here you are bribing countries to try and keep, make them keep people in their own countries. When you don't have enough work in your own country to support yourselves. And your shops are all closing down. And eventually they've, they've told you from the, the next part of the sustainability, you're not going to be able to afford anything to keep buying things from China. <laughs> I hope you understand this, folks, how it, how it works and how you've all been... F- Conned and fed a paper trail. Is it a paper trail? You, you, you run and you find the paper and you pick them up and you save them and you stick them in a bag and you keep running in the race. To, and at the end of it, you would have all different bits of paper to follow the trail, the route that was laid out for you. Well, that's exactly what's happening to you all now. You've been fed the different bits of paper and you're running along a road that you didn't choose yourself and you're being led up the garden path towards the end of all. So it's your fault, you see, that poor Guatemalan farmers turn to heron poppies. And uh, it says, that for years, the Mexican drug cartels persuaded poor indigenous farmers in the western highlands of Guatemala to replace their crops with poppies, just like they did in, the, in, the, in, the, in Afghanistan and so on. But it's in Latin America too. So it's not good enough just to have the coca for, for the cocaine. Uh, now they're bringing it closer in America, a big market, so you, you get them to, to make it in Guatemala. And it says, so they used it to, to make heroin, uh, although farmers were often told the plant was used to produce medicine. You understand uh, how many, uh, they've all had their computers everywhere on the planet and their cell phones for, you know, for, for years and years. No one no one is falling for that. They, they didn't know. They were often told the plant was just to produce medicine. Anyway, the government, under pressure from the United States, then they came in to eradicate the poppy fields with no other high-value crops to replace the poppies and no program available to, high, to help replace farmers' income. They tracked down uh, shoved indigenous farmers such as Lopez and his family into poverty, it says. So loss of poppy revenue is just one of many reasons Guatemalans have poured across the borders by the thousands into the U.S. And on and it goes. So you're supposed to feel really bad. Uh, not, you're, you're simply outlawing and stopping them growing drugs to, to hook your own children on and your relatives, or maybe even yourself. And feel, feel sorry for the poor souls, you see. You understand that I've never seen such rubbish, he, guff, dumped on the people of the U.S. and elsewhere. 
in such incredible vast quantities as we're getting today. Hmm? But again, that will all come out and well, we're all part of the Americas now and the, and the North American Free Trade Negotiation Pact, etc. It's now morphed into another name, but it's the same deal. And we've all got to be one continent eventually, you know. So their problems are your problems. And so on. But anyway, the crime there, and corruption is so terrible that they just have to migrate out of them. Actually, there's an article, there's a bit in, in, in an article where they're, they're talking to, I think it was a police chief or something, one of the, the areas there, uh, talking about it, it was so quiet now and peaceful. He was happy for it because the people had all migrated up to America. <laughs> and so he didn't have all the crime. People could breathe and, and, and relax. But anyway, this is what you're getting now. You're getting incredible nonsense for, for news, as you know. And again, here you have this one too. Getting back to what I started off with here about how they admire totalitarianism. Remember that the, the, the council, the, the CFR and Royal Institute for International Affairs, the same group uh, that run the world, the same as the Pacific Rim Coalition as well. It's the same group, all one group, who helped plan all of this for the, the world government system, who gave you the United Nations and all the rest of it. They admired totalitarian regimes, they admired the Soviet system to get things done. They studied and admired uh, Nazism to get things done. And initially, too, they're, they're all for that, too. And uh, and, they, and again, you have people like uh, Julian Huxley, who really admired the, the, this uh, a socialist um, dictatorship system because he wanted to get on with the whole agenda of depopulation and, and only breed the better types, meaning his own class and scientific groups and so on for this new scientific utopia they're going to create for themselves. But uh, they'll never change, you see. So at a Toronto fundraiser, Justin Trudeau, the, the, again, the son of Pierre Trudeau, right? Who, uh, Pierre Trudeau, who, who was great, the best pals with Castro. <laughs> and Castro came over all the time in his uniform, you see him, and vice versa. It says, but Justin Trudeau seemingly admires China's basic dictatorship. No kidding, I'm really surprised. So there's a level of admiration I actually have for China because their basic dictatorship is allowing them to actually turn their economy around on a dime. Well, no wonder, because you see, they make everything for the planet now. And they do have a, a mono-government, a cis, one system, one-party system, that tells you obey or that's it, you see. The only problem in, in, in Canada is we, we don't have a Chinese, just a complete Chinese population who will obey a more collectivist society. That, that's his problem, too. So they've got to have think tanks working on all different groups of people in Canada and the U.S. and elsewhere, you see. That's a nuisance set. It really is, isn't it? But yeah, he admires it, and uh, he, he can turn it around on a dime. So during the event, which itself was widely uh, criticized for sexist and patronizing undertones, no kidding, eh? an audience member asked Mr. Trudeau which nation's administration he most admired. And as we came back with a level of admiration, I actually have for China. Because he, he, he said the basic dictatorship is allowing them to actually turn their economy around on a dime. And say we need to go green. See, there you go. They mean sustainability. We need to start, you know, investing in solar. Really, that's all sort of wash. There is a, a flexibility that I know uh, Stephen Harper must dream about having a dictatorship where you can do whatever you want that I find quite interesting.
And noting he was in camera, he then said, but Sun News, the Sun newspaper, can never report that I prefer China. And of course it did. And it guessed me too. It says, the National Democratic Party equated the off-the-cuff remarks to gaffes made by one-time U.S. Vice President candidate and hockey mom Sarah Palin. Now, the NDP, National Democratic Party, is a few degrees left of, of Karl Marx. It really. So they really complain about Justin's <laughs> fawning over China. When Justin Trudeau does his best to let uh, out to his inner Sarah Pillen and shows Canadians uh, not to trust instincts, Canadians know they can trust Tom Mulcair to hold conservative, uh, uh, conservatives to account for the scandals and mismanagement. It's a news release. And it, wasn't, it says also it wasn't his first expression of admiration for the, the quasi-communist rising global superpower. Because Mr. Trudeau has also noted that the concerns before in a previous one uh, talk swirling around and take over of natural resources by a Chinese state-owned entity. It said it would be, be similar to those of a takeover by a Scandinavian state-owned entity. So, in other words, you get so ticked off about the laws and regulations you have to go through when, when folk own when it's privately owned land or whatever or resources, and the government wants to take it over. But China doesn't have that problem. You see. So that's one article there. And then you have this one too. Canada's Liberal Party committed to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 if re-elected in next month's federal election. And will beat the current 2030 emissions goal with its plan, it says. So Justin Trudeau's party will help workers prepare for a clean energy transition. It means no energy at all, folks, is what it ends up being, because it's not going to be enough, as we all know. Anyway, the net zero announcement means that some sectors could still pollute, but their carbon would be offset by other measures, meaning you have to pay for it and pay for it and pay for it. Remember, too, I keep telling you about austerity measures. I gave talks about that a few years ago, that, that they were talking about the United Nations bringing in for sustainability. Well, this is it. How do you get to austerity? Well, they, they, they up the prices of everything. They tax you for, for everything you need to this essential. High, 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 high taxes, increasing, increasing, and the, the standard te- the Marxist uh, formula ever-increasing taxes, and, and instead of increasing income tax, as well as other taxes, there you go, you're into austerity. And then the, the, the meat will be out of sight, so you can't afford it. It already is pretty well in Canada, as good, good stuff is anyway. And they've said that they want to, to stop eating meat. Eventually, uh, you'll be forced to stop eating meat, for your particular class, you see. It reminds me of Orwell's 1984, when uh, Julia brings food in, in a, in a clandestine meeting with Winston. And he had real coffee and he's got real food and real meat and everything. And, and, he, and he says, he's going over the stuff that she smuggled in because she's with the inner party working for them as like, you know, on the outsides of the outskirts. And she managed to smuggle this stuff out and he couldn't believe it existed. He says, you mean you got real this and real? Oh yeah, there's nothing those, and she used the B words, don't have. Well, that's always been the way, folks, with these wonderful totalitarian systems. And the Liberals' covert green plan for Canada, poverty and dictatorship. And it's by Alan M. R. McRae. He wrote this for, um, I think it was, What's Up With That newspaper. But he's just saying the things that I've said before, for years, of what it's about. 
But it's his insider who said, I've been working on an advisor group in the Trudeau government, and the group was not formed to, to discuss policy over the five-year horizon that governments are usually in, in, interested in, but to develop policies for the further future, 20 to 40 years out. The implication was that the group had concluded that the present economic model was flawed and had to be replaced. Again, this is the Maurice Strong agenda too, folks. It goes way back. Unregulated consumerism was unsustainable. Again, that's, that's what they said to post-industrial, post-consumerism in Maurice Strong's reports, remember. So unregulated consumerism was unsustainable and people would have to learn to make do with less. Well, how do you do that? Again, you, you, you don't, I've just said how you do it. <laughs> you tax them all, make things so expensive they can't afford it. Then you outlaw it altogether, you see, for you. Anyway, it says the government would have to have more control over people to enforce their uh, austerity, and the wealth of developed nations would have to be re- redistributed to help undeveloped nations. Well, that's the communist goal, which is a liberal goal, which is, which is a, a global system run by one group. That's what it is. With that. And a lot of folk will fall into it. Well, it's only fair we, sh- we share everything with all the poor folk. As you get poorer and poorer, until you have a world of poor folk, the global plantation, and this elite at the top that laughs all their, their way to the bank uh, because they rake in all the massive profits now that they own everything that you need to live. Hmm? I'll put this link up for those who want to see it. It is to bring you all under control. That's the obvious thing about the whole thing. And then scientists have set out how to half greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. All the, all the usual organizations and newspapers are all on board with it. And then Canada's Liberal Party promises net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And you have to, mind you, step by step to get there. So you'll see, you're, you're seeing it already, uh, chunk by chunk, you see. And in climate change, big lifestyle changes needed to cut emissions from BBC. People must use less transport. Again, you won't be able to have afford to get transport. Eat less red meat and buy fewer clothes. All the stuff that Maurice Strong and the ones even belong before that. What do folk need to survive? What makes them healthy? Well, meat definitely does. You see, we need that. Even, eat, don't forget to some of the big gurus of, of uh, some cultures, like Gandhi before, had to eat meat eventually to, to make up for things he was missing in his diet. And I've given you the articles from, from other Hindus who, who, who are top uh, specialists in Britain in the health and in, in, uh, in the National Health Service who, and in other countries too have said the same thing. That, that, that he, one of them's even put his mother on it, on meat, because she needs it. He says it, you know. You need to be healthy. And if you're living in a country where you're freezing half the time if you're not healthy, <laughs> you'll definitely die if you're not healthy to start with and you don't have uh, the proper nutrition in you to get through it all. But it says, Professor Sir Ian Boyle said the public had little scale for scale of the challenges from the so-called net zero emissions target. He said technology would help. He said the conundrum faced in the UK and elsewhere was how we shift ourselves away from consumer again and post-consumer. I've been saying this for years and years now. They're coming out openly and saying it to the public. Eh? Can you stop consuming? Yeah. Yeah. And you say, consuming what? Everything. How about food? Oh, you can't have that. <laughs> Eat some dandelions, are you? And then, then there's another one too. It's, the agenda is a plan of action for people, planet, and prosperity, and so on and so on. I won't read them all because it's too much and too much to go through, but I'll put links up to the articles for those who, who, who can plod through it and can handle 
uh, without getting an ulcer. Because if you, if, if you really get emotive about these things, you're already beaten, folks, you see. Psychological warfare controls everything massively today, massively. And no one escapes it. And also another article, too, to do with the fake heat wave charts and so on, and how they, how they, how they give you the graphs, as opposed to what the actual professionals and government agencies give, give you different ones, which show you that they're really, really faking and fudging them. It's quite interesting. And then talk about, too, redistributing the world's wealth by climate policy and uh, climate fraud tools, etc. Global warming swindles. It's quite something, isn't it? So I'll put up some articles from, from the UN itself on their, their revitalized partnership for sustainability, meaning depopulation, starvation, freezing to death, or roasting and with no air conditioning, and, and depending on your income, of course. And, um, and they'll get their wonderful world down the road as we start dying off. It's a war, remember, crisis, crisis. And you can't, you can't get anywhere without crisis or the appearance of it, right? It's like the strategy of tensions that they had during the 70s and 80s of balance of power and how they, how they literally gave you fake scenarios of crisis so you give up rights and, and even form opposition groups and, and then they would run both sides of things. That's standard, isn't it, the Galian dialectic? But they admitted that to the PSYOPs organizations in different countries. Again, this article here is Global Warming Fraud Exposed in Pictures and then Urban Alliance. Interesting, this article here. It's on Urban Alliances and Who Are We and all the rest of it. Uh, six issues which make progress could be transformative in creating urban environments for the better. What it really is is to set up, it's a Salzburg Global Seminar. A Salzburg organization is huge. And when you go through it, look at the partners, you'll find everybody you know is on it. Ex and present prime ministers, for instance of all countries and presidents and all the top players, not from all parties. Uh, but it's really, for again, it's for the next part of, of it all be crowded into cities under Agenda 21, 21, 2015, 2030, and, and even say that, there'll be fewer and fewer folk step by step living in the country. Uh, of course, they'll have their special places for the, the ones who are ruling the world, just like their, the Dachau's and, and, and Soviet system. All the Politburo could go off and, and live in these massive mansions in the country, basically, with lots of servants. And, well, the peasants live in the, in the cities. It's just wonderful, isn't it? Repetition. They always say hell is repetition, using the same lies, isn't it? Sometimes they'll differ the lies, but the goal is always the same. And then you have uh, the latest program of uh, Parks for the Planet Forum. It's the same organization, by the way. Uh, achieving the sustainable, sustainable Development Goals. And um, by 2050, more than 75% of the world's population will live in towns and cities. Well, there you go, on they go. And I'll, back, I'll, give, I'll put up to the, the Salzburg uh, system, Salzburg Global Seminars that they have, that all these wealthy, uh, well-known folk all attend. They help run your world. Even though you don't vote for them, in fact, you don't know they even exist, half of them, at least in those capacities. And uh, London has become the world's first national park city, says the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. So he hosted a summit to sign the charter for the same organisation that we're talking about, you see, that you didn't vote for. And eventually, as the city expands, you'll, you'll be, you obviously keep off the, remember that song, Keep Off the Grass, etc., from an old, an old, uh, 
song from the 60s or 70s. Signs, signs everywhere are sign, you know. So let's make more cities national park cities. There's another article here. And then this one here. Google makes deep fakes. Can't forget this one. To fight deep fakes. What what amazing thing it is. It's released a database of 3,000 deep fakes. Videos that use artificial intelligence to alter faces or to make people say things they never did. They've had that for years, actually. I had that. Some folk did that for a while back. But uh, at least did this, the, the voice thing, and uh, but now they've got they've got Google doing it, being a database, and they hired stacks and stacks of actors and actresses and and all kinds of people to play their parts. Must cost fortune. No, mind, no doubt they get money from the the government to do it. I'm sure. And it says deep fake technology takes video and audio clips of real people, often police, uh, politicians or celebrities, and uses artificial intelligence techniques to alter them in some ways. For instance, putting words in their mouth or transposing their head onto bodies of an anchor in pornography. But now it's, it's, it's pretty well perfected. You wouldn't be able to tell just looking at the thing. And they get uh, Zuckerberg in too. They're going to also put a, a $10 million a fund to find better ways to detect deep fakes. Well, I tell you, Facebook's one of the biggest fakes that there is out there because no amount of uh, propaganda is going to make them live down all the disgusting wrong that's done over the years, as you well know. But some folk, well, that's, no, that's good of the guy, the guy that called them all stupid Fs, you know. Uh, it's amazing how they forget things. And in this other article, again, about deep fakes to fight deep fakes, supposedly. Quite some. And Feds Kaplan from Dallas is, uh, uh, says the U.S. needs more, not less, immigration for economic growth. Uh, it, it reminds me of, of them giving children that they said were hyperactive um, amphetamine. Yeah. You really wonder what, because I mean, it's strange now, they always do the opposite of what you'd think. And until you realise that someone's conning us all somewhere along the line. Because if you start getting children on amphetamine, and they know this, by the way, in different varieties of it, and uh, their brains start shrinking and so on, it doesn't grow normally. But again, it's mainly young boys are attacking, so maybe, I mean, sure there's not enough future leaders, there might be a problem down the road. So he's the, one of the Federal Reserve Bank presidents. Eh? But again, that's a strange organization that the Federal Reserve is into. It's really a banker to the world now. Because they lend out to all the countries through the World Bank and through other organizations that controls. Now you have microphones and Amazon's new smart glasses that give wearers where access to Alexa on the go. And they could secretly listen into all conversations with an earshot. Isn't that wonderful? And you'll see if folk that you know start to wear them in that, you know. Really. Wonderful how everybody you know becomes a spy, and they don't even know that's what they're doing. They're, they're really so far gone. They don't even know that's what they're doing. They're spying and helping them. But anyway, as I've said before, I've rushed through this one, no doubt about it. Now remember, you can help me take along and keep going by donating to CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. There you'll find out how to send money. Remember, order your books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. But again, getting back to what I cited with, remember about Sinbad, the adventures of Sinbad, and and it was, there was there was different ones. They gave you Alibaba and so on, and his forty thieves and 
stories that children could get into, and they could, and it pictured, they could picture every character in them. They're so well described. But when it comes to the genie, white oh hey, you would never trust that guy, right? Never trust him. Although he'll he'll he'll, he'll dump compliment, he'll he'll give you an avalanche of compliments to put you to sleep, basically, and put you off guard as you're getting conned. That's where your politicians are. But they're not so smart as a genie. But they, So they have all these professional con men that are hired that have worked through uh, psychology and behaviorism and, and marketing companies. They know how, how to fool you very well. They, they write all the speeches for the politicians, all parties, by the way. That tells you a lot in itself. Anyway, from myself, Alan Watford, to your Candice, good night. May your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>